Ringer FC is your podcast home for all things soccer on The Ringer. Join us on Monday and Thursday for Stadio, hosted by Ryan Hunt and Musa Akwanga, as they cover the major European football leagues and a lot more. On Wednesday, Arsenal legend and former England international Ian Wright hosts Wrighty's House, discussing the latest in European football with a rotation of special guests. Check out Ringer FC on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Baseball Barbecue, the only podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, going to Cedar Rapids, Iowa for the Division Three World Series. Jordan, me and Hillary Clinton have so much in common. We're both going to be chilling in Cedar Rapids. Wow. I can't believe I'm jealous. I know most of you aren't jealous, and that's fine, but trust me when I say I am. But that's all right. Uh, I'm very excited for you. We will explain more about why that's happening. Fact check. Later you didn't on see the, the announcement of the live tea time from Cedar Rapids that's coming oh. up next week. You, you guys missed that <laughs> well, one? Don't count out Zach Cram, okay? Because oh. me and Cram, our Washu Bears, are going to the World Series Ooh. for the first time Ooh. ever. Shouts out to the Bears. Good but Cram, Zach Crams. But, but Zach Cram, despite being in walking distance to Cedar Rapids from where he lives, will not be attending because he has plans. But I will be there. I am driving from New York City to Iowa on Thursday because I have very little other, very few other hobbies. Um, so that I'm obviously we will we will cover that at length. Uh, uh, another time, certainly next week when the Bears are our national champions. But on this week's episode of Baseball Barbecue, we are going to talk about the Chicago Cubs. Yes, I'm sure there have been Cubs fans listening to this being like, hey guys, we're actually pretty good. Why don't you talk about us? We're going to talk about that. Of course, we'll get some Tatis chat in there. We're going to talk about the Yankees getting swept by the Tigers. We're going to talk about the Padres swag chain. Two G's and swag there. Very important. Hmm. We're going to unleash... Like like Greg. (laughs) Yes. We're going to unleash, unveil, whatever word you want to use, our... Who's getting traded power rankings? It is officially June, which means it is the month before the trade deadline, which means we can start talking summer hot stove. Uh, Then we got a game later on talking about the Baltimore Orioles, who have now lost, I want to say, 75 consecutive baseball games. At least it feels that way. Uh, We're going to Jake's going to ask me a question about the Baltimore Orioles. Jordan, we're we're, we're backing up to go forward. We're making some steps back to spread forward. 18 steps back to go, (laughs) hopefully many steps forward in the future. Uh, And then, of course, we will do the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, But Jake Mintz, where will we begin today? We are on the north, the north side of Chicago, the team in Chicago with a likable manager. Interesting point. Yes, is not the White Sox because I don't like Tony LaRusso, but we do like David Ross. and We do like the Chicago Cubs. Mm -hmm. And before the season, we were talking about the NL Central and how no one was really that good and how we didn't feel confident about any team. And I still don't feel confident about any team. But enough dust has settled here on June 1st that the Chicago Cubs, at the very least, they're only a half game above the Cardinals, to be clear, as we speak. And a game and a half above Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. But they are definitively, it appears right now, better than Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. Certainly better than Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. And Absolutely better than we thought. 
And the thing about that is that when we came on the show, we put them in, I think we, I think we put them in the 90 and 70 group. Yeah. Um, and that was largely because, and that was a, a big group, of course, we had a lot of teams in that group, but that was largely because we, t- we took a look at their starting pitching and we said, how in the world is this the rotation of a division winner? How is this a team with four righties barely scraping 90 miles an hour? Of course, Kyle Hendricks has succeeded that way for a long time. So, you know, credit to him. He's, he's a good pitcher, although he has not been a, a good pitcher this year. You know, the Jake Arrieta reclamation project, we didn't really buy. Zach Davies, and we love Trevor Williams, former baseball barbecue guest, but that didn't seem like the mix and match of a starting rotation of a winning baseball team. And the reality is, is that those pitchers have not been good. And and so we have not been, we've not been wrong about that, but where we have been wrong is the bullpen because holy shit, the bullpen has been arguably the best in baseball. Pretty kind of clearly the best in baseball. And the answer to how does a rotation that throws 85 miles an hour win a division? The answer is the bullpen does it uh, instead. (laughs) There are some of the guys in the bullpen who have been good. You're like, oh yeah, like he's good. Like Craig Kimbrell is back to being capital C, capital K, Craig Kimbrell, like Hall of Fame Craig Kimbrell. He has struck out 36 batters in 22 innings. He has 12 saves. He's been absolutely dominant all year and all signs point to that continuing. Mm -hmm. Ryan Tapera, who got an MVP vote last year, uh, is really good and been really good. Same thing with Dan Winkler. But Mm -hmm. like around the edges, this team has pulled elite level production out of Andrew Chafin, Rex Brothers, Keegan Thompson, and Dylan Maples. Now, this is the thing. It is June 1st. I don't know whether to feel good about the Cubs Mm. because they have turned their bullpen around, and that's been a big part of their team, or to be worried about the Cubs that maybe this is some small sample size theater Mm -hmm. and that they're reliant on a number of guys who are over the age of 30 who have never been this good before. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think their rotation will get that much better. (laughs) <laughs> that's the thing, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm not really sure. So, like, Alzale has been pleasantly their best starter, and he wasn't exactly the one that everyone was going to be counting on uh, during this season. Um, but he's been he's been solid. But like, again, this is not a farm system with like awesome guys at the upper levels to call, especially on the pitching side. So, like, on one hand, I'm I'm very impressed, and, and Dylan Maples has shown flashes like this, and Keegan Thompson has kind of come out of nowhere. Tommy Nance, an indie ball guy who made his major league debut this year at age 30, has been awesome. And so those guys, I, I weirdly feel better about the guys that yeah. we don't know about, right? Whereas like Rex Brothers coming back from the dead to be this good is completely perplexing. Um, I don't remember the last time he was uh, good in Major League Baseball, I guess, uh, the answer is 2015, not 2013, really, in Colorado was the last year he was like a good major leaguer, uh, reliever for a full season. So it's those guys that I'm more concerned about. And uh, this is a very weird conversation because, again, we have yet to say the name of any hitter on the Chicago. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. We're gonna get there. This team reminds <laughs> me of the good Orioles teams mm. from 2012 to 2016, where the team was like, OK, we have four awesome hitters. We have some other guys with bats. We have no starters at all. No starting pitch, like not, right. not even an all-star it was, it was Tillman. It was Joe Saunders. And me. It was, right. And Jake. And yeah. the bullpen is dynamite. Mm-hmm. And we're going to lean on that. And we're going to lean on the long ball. And we're going to squeak out games. And yeah. it worked for the Orioles. And it what it just means is they have a very small margin of error. And they need those offensive 
players to be dynamite. And the guy who has rebounded, Chris Bryant, is playing so well that they can't trade him. Not even the Cubs can trade him. Mm-hmm. And I think it sort of in the same sense of, of Kimbrell, and I know relievers are more volatile, but like Kimbrell, even when he's been struggling in the last few years, has still been throwing really hard and is still his stuff still looks good. He's still striking out guys. It's just a lot of fluky shit that makes the ZRA balloon, right? But when you have a guy like Chris Bryant, who is not old, he is 29. He's still in his prime. He's obviously in his free agent year. He has not, it's not really been injuries. It's not really been like, oh, he has this. Oh, he broke his hand and his power gone. Like, he just suddenly wasn't very good for a couple of years. But like, when you're Chris Bryant, and at one point you were clearly one of the you know ten best players in the world, like, and you're not old and you're not hurt, like, it's still in there and it can still be accessed. And now, and he's exactly the kind of guy that clearly was not having a good time last year. With yeah. no, with no, and I know we always think about Javi Baez as the guy that's like amped up by the crowd, but. You know, reading, you know, interviews with Bryant, like it was not a fun year for him. He did, did not really care about baseball that much last year. And I couldn't blame him. Right. I believe he he had uh, his first child last year and that was what he was focused on. That makes sense. But now Cubs are back. You know, fans are back in Wrigley. Cubs are in first place. And Chris Bryant is on full blown. Like I'm going to yeah. come and gun for the NL MVP in my last year in the year that everyone thought they were going to trade him because we thought they were maybe going to be bad. And it's been awesome to see because he's an amazing baseball player. I definitely have still have some concerns about this team. I have a fear that in a week's time, we're going to be having the same conversation on this show about the Cardinals or the Reds or the Brewers. It'll be like, wow, we were wrong about this team. Like, turns out they're better than we thought. And like, we're just going to do that until October. Sure. And then some team will win one game like at the end and that'll be it. But the last thing I'll say is team's very good. They could really use a starter. I'm going to just go to Fangraphs, one of my favorite websites. I'm going to go to pitching. I'm going to sort. They could really use a guy who, like, you know, really logs innings, Mm -hmm. strikes out a lot of batters. Yeah, who are you thinking? Who's on your mind? Guy who's, like, 5-1, 11 games started. Like, maybe, like, a 10.67 K per nine. Someone like you, Darvish, would be really beneficial. That would be, dude, can you imagine if they had you, Darvish? That would be so, it's it's a really random name to throw out there, but like, I I agree, man, if they still had him or if they they, had him in the first place, if they had him, (laughs) there might be a package though. Like maybe they could put a package of guys together. Yeah. Like maybe like, you know, like a high school outfielder, like Owen Casey, and then maybe a couple Uh like Dominican, like 17 year olds. Like, I mean, I don't know. I I imagine the Padres would take that. I don't know if that deal makes sense for the Padres considering they're contending. And you know, yeah, Darvish is like a big part of that true. rotation. But whereas the Cubs, the Cubs are not. Oh wait, the Cubs are. Contained. Oh wait, okay, the Cubs right, are. Anyway, anyway, our point right, is, so if the point you is, had uh, <laughs> Chicago Cubs, if you had literally one of the best five pitchers in the world on We'd your team, like, oh, that shit. you didn't give away We'd for be like, oh shit, you yeah. we would be like, oh, maybe you're actually good. But instead, I remain skeptical. Jordan, from a team yes. that we are skeptical about, to a state that we are definitely skeptical of, Florida. <laughs> Let's talk about the Tampa Rays. Not the transition you thought I was going with. Yeah, I mean, look, we talked about them last week when they were on their crazy win streak, so I don't think we need to to belabor this anymore. Um, But we did just want to check in and mention that they have won another five games in a row. I believe they've now won like 17 of 18 or something crazy. They went into Yankee Yankee Stadium uh, yesterday on Memorial Day, and it took another uh, swift race like victory and uh look man i mean now uh, it's crazy because like we already ex- explained why they've been doing good last week um and it's it's still a, a lot of the same but now you're mixing in some of the guys at the top 
some of the, the new guys, right? We're mixing in Shane McClanahan, right? This is a guy we've been waiting yeah. for. You know, Taylor Walls has been really solid, and we know Wander Franco is still going to be coming soon. So I'm not sure I have too much more to say other than I'm still mad that Yandy Diaz hasn't homered yet. Uh, but beyond that, um, they're they're looking like that. I love that Brett Phillips has been really contributing in like a, a meaningful everyday uh, role has been really fun to watch. And we said this last week, but Rich Hill. <laughs> Just, I I don't know what was going on with him at the beginning of the season, but he has been spectacular. We'll get there. So, I, I, credit to the I've, team. I mean, they have I got the best more on Rich Hill later. They I got, I got rec- more Rich oh, Hill. Oh, okay. Later. All right, so. good. Well, well, they have the the best record in baseball, and we wanted to to mention them once again. And and uh, and they are certainly contributing to the Yankees. I mean, did you have anything more to say about the Rays? Because again, we, we pretty much covered it last week. Uh, it just, I still don't know why they're good. Like, I, I I know why they're good, but I still don't know why they're good. A team. Uh, the Yankees, though, let, yeah, let's let's transition to that. So the Rays went and beat the Yankees in New York on Monday. I just want to say, I just want to say, and, and this is yeah. related to, to that sentence you just said, the Rays are 20 and seven on the road. Mm. They are 20 and seven on the road, 15 and 13 at home, obviously far and away the best road record. Um, and, you know, you can make all the all the trop jokes you want. Maybe they should just go to Montreal. Maybe they should just go play. And yeah, imagine if the Rays, like like the Blue Jays, were, were stuck away from home the whole oh, season. Oh, they would love that. They would Stern- win 140 games. Sternberg would love that. <laughs> It'd be all about it. But but yeah, so 20 and 7. And, and clearly they have no problem going into places like Yankee Stadium, uh, even with the super angry, angsty Yankees fans uh, booing the hell out of them. Um, but yeah, man, and the Yankees are now back on a little bit of a skid, you know, swept by the Tigers uh, in Detroit. Now they come home and lose to the Rays. And I will say, if there's something we talked last week, it's like, look, the Yankees, they're back on it. They're they're doing well. We know they're not this bad. They're still, I mean, they're five and a half out, but okay. But I saw a little tweet come across my timeline this morning from Mr. Ken Rosenthal, who uh, knows what he's talking about. And he just, go, it's great when Ken just puts really simple stats out there and you're like, holy shit, the Yankees are currently fourth fewest runs per game in baseball mm. ahead of only but tied with the Baltimore Orioles uh yeah, we, and ahead we, of only Bobby stay, but Bobby stay muted uh ahead of only the Pirates Mets <laughs> and Tigers for fewest runs per game in baseball and when you look at the Yankees lineup we mentioned this last week it's like look they're not hurt everyone's playing i know Stanton Stanton i think just got back like they're playing they're grounding into more. I saw John Boy's losing his mind over the double plays. It's true. I believe they've grounded into double the double the amount of double plays with bases loaded than any other team in baseball. Quadruple uh, they've, plays. They've had a tough time with the clutch hitting. With the yes, with, in the clutch hitting uh, category, they seem to be struggling greatly, which is funny because it's the Yankees. That's going to turn around again. We talk about this all the time. You look at the Yankees roster. I there is no reason to get concerned until August. Like, if they're at the same spot in August, then we can have that conversation again. But for now, for me, the headline is the Yankees lose four in a row. The rest of us are feeling good. We had a conversation earlier on in the year when the Yankees were really struggling, where it was like, you got to enjoy this as a non-Yankees fan while you can. And I want to say that it's not just about the mountains and the canyons for the Yankees, okay? It's about the hills and the valleys. Mm. If the Yankees get swept by the Tigers, that's probably not having an impact on their whole season at the end of the year when it's all said and done. But on, you know, Monday morning, I'm opening my phone and I'm seeing that L3 against the lowly Detroit Tigers and, you know, my coffee's tasting a little bit better. And that's all <laughs> I got to say about that. Um, My question to you, Jake, just one more thing on the Yankees before we move on, is when you look at their their lineup, 
and you look at their offense, I'm going to yeah. name some hitters who have currently been below average by OPS plus DJ LeMahieu, Glaber Torres, Joe Urshela, Clint Frazier. And now Aaron Hicks is probably out for the year because he's injured. And Luke Voigt hasn't played yet. And Brett Gardner's old and sucks. Of those four guys, though, LeMahieu, Urshela, Frazier, Torres, who are you most concerned will still be below 100 OPS plus at the end of the season? Uh, none of them. None of them. Wow. That's all right. We'll see. I mean, I, two of them, are they're all up around 100. So that's none not of that them. Old. None of them. They're all good baseball players. None of them. Yeah, but that's making a difference. It's making that B-Ref page look a lot less sexy than it normally does. Um, all right, Jake. We now move on. Speaking of sexy, let's talk about the San Diego Padres. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> a transition yeah. unlike any other. <laughs> the, the only professional baseball team that makes me feel legitimately aroused, the San Diego Padres are really good. They've all, they're still really good. This is not breaking news. We talk about this team a lot. But we're going to talk about the Padres chain. The, there have been kind of performative uh, costumey chains in professional sports before. Uh, in baseball before, the White Sox had a home run chain a couple years ago. But I think the and I'm not going to claim to be a chain expert. If you listen to this show, you probably know that chains are great. Wear as many of them as you, as you can. But as uh, you know, as a 25 year old dorky Jewish guy, that's not really my field of play. Mm-hmm. Although I guess. You know, what was the Adam Sandler movie? Isn't that all about? <laughs> well, well, that said. Anyway, that said, that that all being said, that that says we we are still uh you know qualified to observe the San Diego Padres and something that has become very uh, regular uh in in the last week or so has been the appearance of the San Diego Padres swag chain swag two Gs now. We've saw this with the pod, with the White Sox, and it was last year with the home run chain, and it was the gigantic White Sox logo, and it looked like you know it weighed a million pounds, and it was very funny and made appearances for a little bit. I think it was two years ago, actually. But this one is a whole different level, and fortunately, thanks to our, our good friends at Fox 5 San Diego, we have the full story behind us. This is from Julian Delgadio. And uh, I love the quotes in here because you get the whole background about this chain. If you have not seen it, there have it, it is basically an enormous Padres logo, but it spins. That is the key point. This is a fully active. This is an interactive uh, chain. Um, apparently, this was this was Manny Machado's idea. He uh, got this organized and created with the help of a company called Raffaello and Co. in New York. And basically, I love this quote from the the owner of this this company. He says, I'm trying to liven it up a little bit. It's the oldest sport in the world, America's pastime. Let's make it current. Let's make it current. Hell yeah. Love that. I think it it brings a whole different attitude, a different confidence. If this chain is some sort of motivation, God bless. I think everyone should do it. That's from the owner, uh, Gabriel Jacobs. (laughs) Okay, so when I saw the chain, when, when I saw the chain, Jordan and I had a conversation about it. And I was like, this is plastic. Like, this can't be real. Turns out it is real. Um, made of real metals. And you, it weighs about six pounds. Jordan, my question for you is, if Fernando Tatis Jr. had to wear that exact chain while he played, would he still be an all-star level shortstop? <laughs> okay. I think he's still starting for sure. I think you still have to, to, to put that talent in the lineup. In terms of where it would hamper him the most, I mean, he probably can't head first slide anymore. 
Yes. That seems that that can't happen. That's, Unless he wants like an awful chest wound. That's what I'm saying. Like, in terms of where you're most likely to get injured wearing this chain while playing baseball, just base running in general becomes much more of a challenge. It is probably going to slow down his sprint speed a bit. Um, and just like have that just kind of bouncing again. Like that just yeah. sounds really not pleasant. Um, but in terms of I think he could still swing pretty well. It wouldn't be particularly fun to come around with that in front of you. But what do you think? I mean, again, he's still playing, but there he would definitely be hampered. It really is the size of it, right? And, you know, there have been interviews with players who say they wear chains because they actually like feeling weight around sure. their neck. Like it, they feel balanced and they feel mm-hmm. like they're in sync. Mm-hmm. But this is six pounds. And I think you're, that's a it's lot. Like, it's like, I mean, it's, it's not just, big, it's not dude. just the weight it's, itself. It's a it's big ass not, chain. How, like, how many inches is that in diameter? I mean, is I don't know if it's a foot, but it's at least probably eight or nine inches. Like that's a lot to be, you know, banging yeah. against your chest. Not it's, good. it's the size of the Flava Flav clock. Yes. And, and like, the, and Flava Flav was terrible at baseball. <laughs> <laughs> he was just standing there, you know, existing on television. He didn't have to do a lot of like physical actions. Wait, but, Jake. Yeah. Do you think Flava Flav would have been good at baseball if he wasn't wearing the clock though? <laughs> yeah. Do you think so? <laughs> yeah, dude. So that, was, that guy that was, was like a that guy's back. like a genius. Coming up next on baseball barbecue, could Flava Flav go 40-40 if he wasn't wearing the clock? <laughs> yes, that's what I'm saying. That's my point. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you, Bobby. As always, though, the great thing about these, as it was with the White Sox chain when, like, you know, um, Danny Mendick was wearing it, uh, when Austin Nola, you know, gets the game-winning hit and is <laughs> is gifted the swag <laughs> chain, it is quite, quite enjoyable. Quite enjoyable. It's a big-ass chain. Okay, then my, my next question about the Padres for you, Jordan, is also Tatis-related. Yes. Uh, he, he had another explosive week. Mm-hmm. At the plate. He's hitting He's, home run. He hit one out of the train God. tracks in Houston. Oh, yeah. He, nothing has changed. So I guess my question is like, now what? Fernando Tatis Jr., now what? We have seen it all already somehow. He's only five years old. He's been in the big leagues for, you know, a blink of an eye. He's done it all from an on-field performance standpoint. He is one of the best five players in baseball. There's no doubt. What do you need to see from him to be wowed? I know that the everyday things he's doing should never become mundane and they are not mundane, but he does stuff now. And I don't, I'm never shocked. I'm never now mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. Oh wow. For, like if Jose Abreu avoided a tag <laughs> or something, right. I'd be like, that's notable. Right. But for Tatis, it's the, the incredible has become every day, which is yes. great. Yeah. What is something in your mind that you could like pinpoint specifically that you would want him to do where you'd be like, I li- I cannot believe he did that. Right. So again, because he he does things, and the the one point I want to focus on here, which is we we had this weekend as he avoided uh, a pitch uh, while in the box, is that a, a reminder that Tatis moves in ways that I have never seen. His, his limbs are capable of contortions and these flexible maneuvers that I just it not just for someone his size that is what is so staggering and so just like how is this possible. But that is what comes with the base running. That comes with the elusiveness. Comes in parts of baseball that you that you just don't really think about, right? And so I think for him to do something that again, not that he's not wow me, not that I am not entertained, but as far as like, okay, is it going to be something on the bases? Is it going to be something on defense? Is it going to be something in the batter's box? Honestly, it probably is still like another level of home run distance that I think he he has had some pretty long homers for sure. Um, and he's had, you know, 
maybe you know what it, you know what it probably is, and this is something we've talked about a lot. It's a homer into McCovey Cove. I think that's probably the the thing that I'm rooting for that I think is in play. Again, this is not something that we believe has ever been done, a home run into McCovey Cove by a right-handed hitter in the game. As far as we know, that has not happened. Uh, I think he is a great candidate to do it. Obviously, he has plenty of opportunities in San Francisco. That is something I'm looking forward to him doing. Do you have an answer? The one, two things came to my mind. Okay, the first thing was, if he did something amazing that like a slow plotting first baseman would do. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, is there something that he could do that's like unathletically impressive? Like, <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Like, and I couldn't really think of anything on the flip side. It really mm-hmm. doesn't work like that. And then I was like, maybe if he caught, if he played catcher, okay, so, but the so, Padres yes. would never do ever do that. They would like, no so way. I was thinking like defensively, what has he not done? Maybe there is some sort of crazy play. Going into the stands, Robbing yep. a home run. There we go. <laughs> robbing a home run yes. from shortstop. Robbing a home run, which here is the only way I can imagine that being possible. In Boston. In the shift. In the shift. Rafi Devers pulls one down the line. Yeah. He, but the problem is that it doesn't usually Machado play in right field. It's usually in Machado. Scenario. Machado slips. Machado his, slips. It's raining. Tuts- and raining the plant, Machado's plant leg slips. Wh- whoever's whoever's in right field like loses the ball somehow for some reason. In the rain, right, uh, yeah, in, the, in rain, the rain slash stadium lights, and Tatis books it from into like, the pesky short right pole. center. Yeah, over the pesky pole, robs a homer yeah. and goes into the stands. I think that's what we need. Which and, again <laughs> really emphasizes how much he has already accomplished, how we're much like, he has already done. We're like writing fucking sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> here the other thing that came to mind jordan because he had this incredible <laughs> highlight where he dodged the pitch unnecessarily ac- acrobatically that's what i'm talking about yeah like he, when you watch so, that slow-mo he moves in ways that i i can't even comprehend yeah. so i think the next thing would be for him to catch a ball that was already going to hit him by accident mm. and like you know, like you're playing wiffle ball with your friends and someone throws it and it's going to hit you. You just catch it and toss it back to them. If like <laughs> yeah. a pitcher throws like a slow curve that's like clearly going to hit him in the back and in trying to get out of the way, like he catches it with one of his hands and throws it back to the pitcher. That's great. That's a great Tatis only thing that that's I can great. kind of envision him doing. That's great. Or another one in the box is like, a. I mean, I know we've seen it before, but like, a ball bounces and he hits it anyway and it's a home run or something yeah. like that. Right. Uh, Bobby, do you have any suggestions? Hey, I got one here. Hey, how about he win a World Series first before we start hey, crowning him? Hey, oh, let's see him win. Hey, let's see get that the first about, round. Hey, hey. How about you? How about you win a World Series? <laughs> oh, man. He's already, no, I, I, I was going to say, I was going to start with that and be like, well, yeah, like obviously like play, do something in the World Series. But like, no, but like we're talk- to me, we're th- talking there's a difference physical- there, right? Yeah, we're talking about physical singular accomplishments, yes. physical feats versus like consistency yes. over time. Consistency over time is not unique to yes. Fernando Tatis Jr. That is a thing that every good player needs to show that they can do if they want to be in the in the Hall of Fame, yes. considered one of the greats. But I'm talking yes. about like singular feat, World Series walk off, Game Seven. <laughs> All right, Joe Carter. Go. Oh, that was Game. There seven. you go. There you go. That's that's the bar for Bobby. Bobby's standards are even higher than us, who are asking him to rob a home is, run in is Fenway that, Park. Is that Bill Mazeroski's grandson calling in? <laughs> As the subluxation professional, please don't oh, yes. put the necklace, the chain around his oh, neck while bad, he's swinging. That's no. <laughs> that's bad news for... No, I mean, thanks. honestly, we might not even want to do that 
in the dugout. It's probably too risky. Doc Bob. It's a lot of weight. It's a lot of weight where it's not supposed to be. It is. You know who would love that. You know who probably loves the chain is Coach Bob Tubb. <laughs> Bob Tubb all about it. That seems like right up Tubb's alley. It's actually it's a, it's a weight transfer thing. It really helps you get your front side flight Stay forward. balanced. Stay balanced. Uh, yeah. All right. We move to our next segment, which uh, we believe is now appropriate because it is June 1st, which means we are now two months from the trade deadline. The standings are slowly beginning to uh, become more clear. We see, all right, this team is good. This team is bad. Of course, there are teams still in the middle, but we are, we've had regular baseball now for a couple months. It's been pretty nice. It's been pretty fun. But it's time to talk about who is getting traded. And these are our first. We'll probably update these. We probably won't do this every week. We are going to introduce our who is getting traded power rankings. We are going to list five players who we believe to be most likely to be traded before the July 31st deadline. Jake Mintz, start us off. We have five players. We're going to start at number five. Our fave five, we should say. Might as well. We haven't done fave five in a while. These are our fave five power rankings for who is most likely to get traded. Who are we beginning with? Starting at number five with Richard Rodriguez, a player that many of you maybe have never heard of. And the reason he's getting traded is very simple. He is good. He is a reliever. And he is on the Pirates. Mm, That is what we call the perfect storm. Perfect storm. Yes, and he is, of course, you know, ERA under two uh, so far this season uh, for the Pirates. He's he's notched a few saves for the games they have indeed won. And I just think that, like, this is, I'm honestly not even sure what they're waiting for at this point. This is not a guy who strikes out a ton of guys. So, like, you could imagine with some bad luck, his ERA balloons and maybe you don't get as much of a return. Uh, I think this, I mean, I know we have him at number five. I would have him higher on this list. I think yeah. he's getting traded. I don't think we're waiting until till July 31st. I think maybe he's not the most likely, but if he is going, he will be the first guy to move. I don't think the Pirates should be waiting any longer. They should All be right. shipping out any good relievers. So he's number five, though. At number four, uh, when you're looking at dudes who are going to get traded, you got to look at teams who are underperforming and players that they have who are probably coming off the books are going to be free agents soon. So number four, Jose Barrios. Long-time Twins starter, Jordan, the Twins have been Pooh, and he's a good pitcher on a Pooh team, so yeah. you got to bring his name up. Yeah, and this is this one is kind of like super shitty and, and kind of heartbreaking because like Barrios is such a, like he's been one of their main dudes, and they developed him, and like he has been good this season, um, but if the Twins are going to stay this far behind, obviously the White Sox, uh, but also... Kansas City and also Cleveland like they got to consider it and that's the kind of guy too like they're obviously not going to trade Buxton and they're obviously like their hitters are not really in a great position to be moved I guess if they're really still like this bad at the trade deadline maybe Nelson Cruz but Rio seems like one where you could flip him for a pretty big return it would be kind of sad but all right number three on the who's going to get traded rankings Joseph Gallo uh who is actually a, a crane he's a physical crane on the Texas Rangers who hits home runs, walks, strikes out, and plays surprisingly good defense for a crane. The Rangers have been slightly better than people think or thought, uh, but you still think Gallo's getting dealt, Jordan? I do. I think that they, I, I didn't, I think coming into the season, I was like, wait a minute, why didn't they just trade him this past offseason? Like, it, clearly the Rangers are going to be bad. 
I didn't realize how not great he was in the 60 game season. And we've talked about how silly the 60 game season sample is and how we shouldn't be judging players for it. But I have to imagine they were hoping that he was going to have a hotter start to this year. And he's been he's been better. And I think he will continue to be better. And I think he will be along with Trevor Story, who we'll get to in a second. Like, I think he's absolutely getting moved. I just he just is close enough to free agency now. And they are clearly rebuilding and just trying to accrue as much talent as possible. It's kind of a bummer, but I think it makes sense for both sides. And I think that's fine. Mariners a great fit. Wow, that's a hot take. He just homered against them yesterday. So I, w- I freaking love Joey Gallo. That would be first base, first base DH. That would be trade, trade Evan White. Incredible. Trade Evan White for Joey Gallo. Who <laughs> says? Be- who says yes? All right, at number two on the list, a man who is always on these lists, but somehow never been traded. Matthew Boyd. Every year, it's like, oh, bad Tigers team, average pitcher. Could he be on the Yankees? And every right. year, the Tigers like, we're, we're going to hold on to him. Or Matt Boyd's <laughs> like, I'm going to suck in July. And you can't trade me. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's always come down to he's just had like four bad starts always at the worst possible time. Um, But this year, it seems like he's stabilized enough. Like, I'm still not a huge Matt Boyd believer. But I mean, okay, the Cubs could use Matt Boyd. Like, realistically, like, it probably wouldn't cost them that much. And he's a lefty who throws a little bit harder. Like, that's kind of a no-brainer for me if they're still in the mix later on. Like, not that I'd feel awesome about Matt Boyd starting game three of a, of a playoff series, but probably better than what they have right now. And I don't think it would cost that much. So, there you go. At, at number one on the list, Jordan Trevor's story, uh, a member of the Colorado Rockies who are very bad, not very good, the one thing, though, about Trevor Story, who is a free agent at the end of the year, is that it is unclear as of right now whose job it would be to trade Trevor Story because the Colorado Rockies do not have a general <laughs> manager on their team. Yes, that is that is problem number one. And of course, we prefer this than asking Jeff Breidich to make the Trevor Story trade. So I'm sure Rockies fans are not complaining in that regards. But uh, Story has also been relatively underwhelming. He is now injured and going to be out for a little bit. So this one is very much on pause. It would make absolutely no sense for the Rockies to trade him right now, which means they'll probably trade him tomorrow. Rockies should do a fan contest where they they pick a fan to headline to like spearhead the the trevor story trade hey uh janine of boulder colorado step no. on down you get to build the package for trevor story. no i think it should be it should be a, a vaccine perk you know how all these teams are being oh. like oh you get back show your vaccination card you get to pick one of the low a pitching prospects yeah. for the trevor story deal roberto from uh aurora colorado <laughs> come on who you, who you got like? at Coors field let us know we're, we're trading with the Angels. Uh, why don't you go ahead and take a look at the Inland Empire uh, rotation and take a take a take a pick? Fan feedback is very important to our organization. Um, the last point I'll make about this is no Orioles and no Diamondbacks on this list. Those two teams Yet. will both trade people away, I'm sure. And who exactly that will be will come more into focus as we go. Yes. Tune in next time on the Who's Getting Traded Power Rankings. All right, Jake, before we go to break, uh, obviously there is a much more disturbing piece of news that we wanted to touch on before uh, we go to break here because it came out over the weekend and it obviously involves a pretty relevant player uh, in the game of baseball. And that is the very troubling story about Marcelo Zuna, Braves outfielder, um, who was arrested over the weekend uh, for a domestic violence incident. 
Uh, it was even more than that. This is uh, charged with aggravated assault by strangulation and misdemeanor battery. This is very, very concerning. This is the kind of thing that unfortunately keeps popping up uh, in our sport, obviously in the world, but in our sport particularly. Um, the He has already, of course, been released on bond. Obviously, this is still going to go to trial and whatnot. We do not know how the Braves are going to handle this. Uh, I think it is very safe to assume that based on what we know now, he is definitely going to be suspended. We hope that Major League Baseball does this as exactly as they should. They have continued to escalate these punishments. We hope that they continue to do so because they have not always handled this in the right way. Um, but yeah, it's it's extremely upsetting. And it's important that we know that this is a real issue and that these are baseball. They, they are not exempt and they should not be exempt from punishment for egregious acts like this. Absolutely. And it's also important to remember that it's not a baseball story. And yeah. I mean that not in the it's obviously a problem within baseball, but mm -hmm. I'm saying like this is not a, a story about how this impacts the National League East. No. Right. This Which is, is a story why, about. Right. right. And like we're not going to break it down in that way. And like it it doesn't it deserves much more serious and seriousness than that. And like, you know, the priority should be making sure that Marcelo Zuna and his family and you know, his wife are safe and feel secure. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully MLB takes steps to kind of contribute to that in some way, whether it's financially or by suspending him for a long, long time. Now, yep. you know, there's a part of me that has a skepticism where it's like these guys end up popping back up into the league after two years. And it's like, mm -hmm. OK, but right. um, but I would be very surprised if he plays another baseball game this season. All right, let's take a quick break, Jordan, and we will be back with a game about the Baltimore Orioles and the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, we are back here on Baseball Barbecue, a podcast that I'm on with my friend Jordan Schusterman. Jordan, uh, you know a lot of things about me. We've been friends for a long time since high school. Um, and you know that I'm a Baltimore Orioles fan. You know that I have sat through bad Baltimore Orioles teams before. And right now the Orioles are in the midst of a 14-game losing streak. I would be lying to you if I said that I had watched any of those games. I probably watched like the first two or three. But once your team, if they're bad, gets on an L3, you're tuning out until the end of games. Uh, and that's what I've done now. So I can't speak to like why the Orioles have been bad. I can't. I don't want to talk about that. That makes me sad. But what I do want to ask you, we're going to play a little game called How Many Losses? Okay, you ready? I'm going to ask you All questions right. and you got to answer. Go. I love this game. How I many think. consecutive losses do the Orioles need to have for them to make a change at manager? Brandon Hyde is a good manager. I believe in Brandon Hyde. I don't think he should be fired. But is there a number of consecutive losses the Orioles can accrue this season where management is like, okay, this is ridiculous. Like, we have to make a change. Okay, so again, for a little bit of context, do you know the longest losing streak in baseball history? Was it not the Orioles? Didn't the Orioles start a season going like 0-21? 0-21, yes. So they, to, to start the year, right, in, in 1988, 21 games. Now, there are some longer ones back in like the 1800s. Uh, the, the 1961 Phillies lost 23 games in a row. So I 
That's a good question, right? Because it doesn't matter. We know the Orioles are going to be bad this year. It's not like, and, and clearly they, they had trust in Brandon Hyde to take it. So it's like, what right. would it accomplish to, like, is you basically have to be deciding that Brandon Hyde is, is part of the reason why they keep losing. And that would have to take, like, more than the record. That would have to be like. If the Orioles the, get to 35 consecutive losses. I think, yeah. But it's weird because, like, do you think Orioles fans, no. even stupid ones, would be like, we need a player friend and I. Well, that's my question. <laughs> like, if the, okay, if the Orioles right. lose every I, game the rest of the year. If the Orioles. Yes. No, I think he would, if they, if they lost 30 or 40 games, I do think they would fire Hyde. Okay. Which because I like hope then, happen, because, because like here's it. why at that point, like the notion, if you're thinking, how the fuck are we going to win? It's not that necessarily Hyde's fault, but like the notion of like, let's get a new manager in there that could spark something that would maybe create, right. like that would change something up that would maybe do something. So I think it was still, though, it'd be take like 30 or 40. I think Hyde might resign before 40 games. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. How many Hyde games before Hyde down. would resign? He had some pretty bleak quotes. Going yeah, because it's the... pretty fucking bleak, Jordan. <laughs> Imagine pressing every button and still losing. You know, like you're the manager. Ah, oh, just gotta press the right buttons. And you press the right no, buttons. You don't. And you're no on buttons. L31. The buttons don't exist. There's no the buttons, buttons he doesn't have the correct buttons. The it's control. No, you have the controller, but it's not plugged in. You're just like Bobby, pressing the buttons and nothing's happening. Bobby, there's no buttons. This is a zip up. All right. How many losses until Orioles GM Mike Elias gets the heave ho. Obviously, I like Mike Elias. This is all theoretical. I just want to emphasize. I love Mike Elias. I think he's doing a good job. Long-term vision. I believe in the vision. We're just playing Here's, a dumb theoretical okay. game. Here's if my the Orioles lose every single game the rest right. of the season, is he still around next so, year? So here's my answer to this. I don't have an exact number, but I do believe that there could be a point where they lose so many games in a row that the fans are like legitimately like revolting against the team to the point where the owner might look at the GM and be like, look, I know this was the plan to be bad, but you are actively harming our uh -huh. fan base in such an aggressive way that like we need to. Now, it's it's tough because it's not like then you're going to go get Dave Dombrowski to like <laughs> fix <laughs> it for a bunch of good players. But like, so I don't really know how it would make it better, but I could. It, it was the amount that it would take the actual fans to fully revolt and say, you are giving us a product that is so bad that I am so mad at the team. And like, you know, there's like, they're like outside the stadium being like Elias has to yeah. go or like see, mad about the ownership, right? That's, that's what, well, whatever that number is. That's Which I think it's less than every game for the rest. It's probably okay. 50 or 60 games in a row. Okay. So you think if, if the Orioles are on an else 50, <laughs> Elias yeah. is, is kaput. Yeah, I do. Okay. How many losses until the owners sell the team? <laughs> if the, <laughs> the Orioles team. finish the year out of, out of, Pure shame. If the Orioles finish the year 17 and 145, <laughs> uh, finishing the year, I guess that would be like an L a hundo. Yeah. L 105 or whatever the fuck. Would the owners sell the team? So like this is also a funny shame. idea because this is also a funny idea because like if they're at one certain like L79, he's probably exploring like this is you can't just sell the team on a whim. It's kind of a process, right? So he at what? So is once he's at L eighty, and it's like we're not going to win again. He's probably starting to put the stuff into motion, right? And then we start, you know, at L ninety five. Now we get the candidates. Oh, here's who's looking to buy the Orioles, and then maybe by the end of the season, boom, you know, we're seventeen and a hundred and whatever. <laughs> let's, uh, let's 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 pull, pull the pull, pull the trigger. Pull, pull the trigger.
No way, bro. You got to keep that team. That talk about redemption story. And, and first of all, they're making more money if they are seventeen and one forty-five. This because is a good point. People want to come. Here's the to thing. See history. <laughs> right, 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 right. I was gonna. I, I, I this is what I, I was thinking about because at some point the Orioles fans are revolting. But if they're if they've lost ninety games in a row. People are Nats fans are coming to, into are town. Flocking to ball. Okay, fans right. coming into town. Yankees fans okay, coming right. into town. Let me, okay, so the Orioles finished this year seventeen and one forty-five. Okay. <laughs> yep. The owner keeps the team. Angelos yep. keeps the team. Yep. Next season, opening they go, day. Opening day, yep. they go zero and one sixty-two. <laughs> they run it back. Okay, Ooh. I think people are tuning in and coming to games <laughs> to see that history. Imagine right? the Masson deal. Imagine the Masson deal for for. Oh. <laughs> To see the winless season. People are coming. But 2023, mm-hmm. okay, we already saw an 0 and 162 season. <laughs> right. So I think in 2023, if the O's mm-hmm. start like 0 and 60 again, yeah. I think they're, they're selling the team at that point. Okay. Right? They <laughs> okay. have so, to be. So we need at least a I think they get two full seasons. I think Once that the losing contracted. gets old. No, I what? think the team gets <laughs> contracted. <laughs> okay, so this is my next in. question. This is my next question. This is my next question. Okay. This is my next question. How many consecutive losses until MLB is like, you, you got to pack this up. Like, you got to, like, move <laughs> from Baltimore. This cannot be happening. I think, like, How 50. Many? If the number's low for that yeah, one. Yeah, it's low. No, I disagree. I think the year gets finished. Well, I don't think MLB, well, you can't like— move. I guess you could move you to can't move, move mid-year. Anything's mid-year. possible. But Luce said, anything's possible. <laughs> anything's possible. I think that if the Orioles lost 50 games in a row, like, the conversation about— where the next team is going to be, the expansion, talk about the Rays and the, and the A's, it starts focusing on Baltimore. Like, I think that does, eventually, the shift, the focus does shift to the team that's lost 50 games in a row. I, okay. I do believe that. How, this is a, a little sooner. How many consecutive losses until John Means demands a trade in public? <laughs> because Oof. John Means is probably like a, a <laughs> legit Cy Young candidate this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has gotten unlucky in the starts that he has started during this this mm-hmm. losing streak. Is there a number where he he is not the type of guy to like go to the Baltimore Sun and be like, get me out of here? But there is a number. We all have our limits. I mean, so. I mean like I don't know. Like for him, like what different like I guess if he loses this 10 consecutive starts, starts where he allows two runs. Yeah, I mean, right. That that becomes pretty brutal. Yeah, DeGrom, like, all right, what's DeGrom going to do? Demand the trade in the press? Yeah, yeah. but a big. Earth to Jake. This happened with Jacob DeGrom. Yeah. It's your different namesake. when you're losing 70 Every consecutive other games like in you're this having, scenario. You're not like getting in a good mood okay. in all the other days. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's less than that. I think you'd see players retiring. I think you would see guys <laughs> walking away from baseball. You know? I, think, I think there's a level of it where it becomes unfun. And like, I think like a 50 game losing streak would ruin people's love for the game. Like, I think, I think you'd see like, I think Harvey well, would, would retire. I think you'd see like literal retirements in droves. Like you would see no. mutinies. No. You would see, des- it would be like desertions. It'd be Last- like a military where they're like clearly going to lose the war. And like dudes are just running home. I think you'd see that. <laughs> All right. Last last thing about this. Then we're moving on. To a good, okay. qu- a I, quick, I one, good, bad, ugly. I have one. Half oh, you have one more. Okay. Because it's amazing you have one more. Okay. Because again, you've escalated from 
let's just let's let's call Jake out on this for a second. The order that you have gone here in any game like this, <laughs> the idea is that it builds up. You started with Hyde fired, Elias fired, <laughs> owner, owner sells the team, MLB steps in, and then John means trade to man. <laughs> yeah. It's most so, important. <laughs> it goes up in order of importance, Jordan. <laughs> Uh, like it's more woo. important to me as an Orioles okay, fan. So that, that MLB that stepping is <laughs> MLB stepping in and taking and, and banishing the Orioles from Major League Baseball is making less, them move to like a different city is less of a concern yes. to you than John Means committing a trade. All right, what's the last one? That we're the last on? one is just I pick a new team. Oh, okay. Because that should there right, is right. a point where like there's a number of losses mm-hmm. where I literally cannot do it anymore. Where the emotional investment. <laughs> in the Orioles is not viable for my own sanity, right? And you could say, oh, you've gotten to that point. But no, 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 no. There's still, you know, I still watch. Jordan still watches the, Mar- the Mariners when they're bad. Jordan, how many losses until I'd be like, all right, go Reds. <laughs> so to answer that, I would say it, the, the start of this conversation was an important point, which is that you haven't watched recently. So like, it, it no. would need to be enough, like, because we have so much else going on right now with a lot of college sports we're watching and your, your college teams in the World Series. So, like, it doesn't matter. The Orioles could lose for the next two weeks and you're not going to care. It's you not texted me something about the Orioles and I this week and I responded, sorry, never heard of the Orioles. <laughs> right. Who are they? So, like, to me, this will start to hit you in, like, a month if they have still lost, whatever, even at that point, right? But... We, we'd still have to go another year. Again, I think we're, yeah. we're talking, if they go lose until next June, next yeah. July, then I think you're starting to really consider. Yeah. Consider something else. Yeah. Probably but not John Means is more important. John Means is more important. All right. Um, let's, uh, let's go to <laughs> Good, Bad, Ugly. How many losses until I die less important than John Means getting <laughs> traded? All right. Let's do Good, Bad, and the Ugly. Let's zoom through this, Jordan. Yes. I'll begin. I'll this. begin. I'll begin. Go ahead. I would like to talk about a name, uh, a guy by the name of Richard Hill. Yep. You know him as as Rich. Uh, some know him as Dick Mountain. Mm-hmm. There, there was a moment about a month ago, at the end of April, Rich Hill, who is 50,000 years old, I believe he was born in the Protozoic era. Um, he finished the month of April with the Tampa Bay Revel Days with a 7-2-5 ERA in 22 innings. And I went on this pod uh, and I proclaimed that he was done, officially done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I should have known better than to doubt Mr. Richard Hill, a guy who has been done, cooked, left for dead more times than really any other baseball player in modern history. And all Richard Dick Hill has done in May is throw 34 innings and allow three runs. That is a .78 ERA. He has struck out more than a batter an inning. He has been absolutely incredible. He is 41. And today I was like, what changed? Right? Like I was trying to like in my brain con- concoct like a fan grassy article, like Rich Hill did this and turned it around. And I couldn't find shit. If you, any fancy graph you want to look at, whether it's baseball savant or Brooks baseball, whatever the fuck, like it's the same. Everything is the same. The usages are basically the same. He's throwing a little more of his fastball, which is antithetical to what we think about Rich Hill. But other than that, like the velo hasn't changed a, like a, at all. It's all the same. He's just now been good. 
And I don't know what the hell that means at all. I don't know if Rich Hill's going to do this for a while. He might throw next start, be total dog shit. But right. it is worth no, he's, noting. He's changed something. I don't. Again, I don't know. I would love to read some smart person's article about what the hell he's changed, if anything. Or it's just luck and Rich Hill was good all along and pitching is hard. Dude, he threw eight innings in a game for the Rays. The, <laughs> the Rays were like, you're 41. Head back out for the, the eighth, please. Yeah, that is crazy. That is a great that that really sums it up right there. So uh, cheers to Dick Mountain. Uh, he has obviously been spectacular and continues to to mystify us in all the ways that he does. All right. From uh, a pitcher who made his major league debut on June 15th, 2005. Uh, I would like to talk about a pitcher who made his major league debut last week, and that is Mr. Alec Manoa. Alec Manoa was spectacular in his debut at Yankee Stadium. There was great video of his uh, parents uh, loving every second of it. It was very, very, very cool to see. Last week when we talked about the Blue Jays on a losing streak, we said, all right, look, the starting rotation, this is still shaky. Manoa can't save them. But the energy after that Manoa game coming out of the Blue Jays and, and just from the Blue Jays fans that we follow on Twitter was so electric, so exciting. And in a way, again, shouts out to Nate Pearson. We love Nate Pearson. We hope Nate Pearson is great. This felt more like what people were expecting from Nate Pearson last year. And I love it from Manoa. And I love that he's pitched like four minor league games and he's already just going to be immediately their second or third best starter. And I cannot wait to watch him again because um, I admittedly did not watch that much of his start last week because I was not paying attention to Major League Baseball. <laughs> But exposed. He is starting. I'm I'm warning you all now. He is starting tomorrow on Wednesday against the Marlins, and I will be tuning in to every pitch of that game. Alec Manoa is good. What is your bad? Ronald Acuna Jr. What? What? Ronald Acuna Jr. is bad? Ronald Acuna Jr. is not bad. What is bad about Ronald Acuna Jr. is that he is not stealing bases. Jordan Schusterman, or at the least, he is not stealing bases at the clip that I had hoped and anticipated when I Went out at the beginning of the year, and everyone and me was like, Ronald Acuna 40-40, Ronald Acuna 40-40. He has six steals uh, through two months, which if you multiply by three, which you can do for all stats, uh, he would have 18 by the end of the season, well short of a 40-40 season. I would say right now, Fernando Tatis Jr. and Trey Turner are the best shots to go 40-40. I believe Tatis is at 16-10. and 10. Uh, and Turner is at 10 homers and 12 steals around there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not going to be Ronald unless he really starts running. I don't think he will because the Braves have had so many injuries and the last thing they need is an Acuna injury. But this is the thing. This is why going 40-40 is so impossible because you you got to run. You got to be running all the time. Just stealing 40 bases at all in today's game is very rare. And doing that with 40 home runs is even more so. And so, yeah, that's a bummer. God, oh, I really sucks. wish you just said for uh, that Ronald Acuna Jr. was just not playing the game the right way instead of not stealing any bases. Just you went full heel turn on us on the pod like 54 minutes wow. in. Yeah, the that issue was... with Ronald Acuna Jr. is that he doesn't, he just doesn't hustle. <laughs> you know? just That's the problem. That's why he's not stealing those bats. If Ronald Acuna Jr. got it. down the line, which Bad. is a hilarious. Ronald Acuna Jr. showing up pitchers. That's one of my favorite things is like, oh, he doesn't get down the line. Have you watched him? Remember, he beat out an, a grounder to shortstop. Sorry, no one's saying that. I'm making a mountain out of a molehill. George Schusterman, what's your bet? My bet this week is Kevin Newman. 
Kevin Newman. There are two elements to Kevin Newman that I want to talk about as bad, and I hate to pile on a a player having a bad season on a bad team. But in particular, Kevin Newman, there are two elements to this. What do you remember about Kevin Newman in spring training, Jake Mintz? Didn't he go like 18 for 19? Kevin Newman hit 600 in spring training. He went 20 for 33 with zero strikeouts in spring training. I believe he was hitting 700. He had like an 0 for 4 in his last game and that, you know, brought it down. He hit 606 in spring training with six doubles, no homers, but he did not even strike out once. It was 13 games, who gives a shit, right? But still, Kevin Newman's the kind of player where like if you told me this year that Kevin Newman hit was going to honestly, honestly, if you told me Kevin Newman was going to win the batting title, I would have been like that's hilarious, but like sure. Like that's Did he get thing. traded to the Rockies? Yeah, like, but but it's like it's not. It would not have been the craziest thing in the world. I would be like, okay, look, like that's what Kevin Newman does. He puts the bat on the ball, and he he, you know, it works out, right? That's fine. Not say Kevin Newman's best play. Was it fine? Okay, wasn't case he hit hit six hundred. No, but Kevin Newman this year is hitting two oh nine, and the reason is extra bad because his BABIP is two sixteen, which is particularly unfortunate when he is putting the ball in play more than almost any other player in baseball, and that really sums up. Like this dude has a 3% walk rate and a 5% strikeout rate, and he has a 216 BABIP. He is doing, you know, all the people that say, like, all right, well, we gotta see more balls in play. Kevin Newman's like, I'm fucking trying, man. I'm putting the ball in play and I'm not getting rewarded for it. And I hit 600 in the spring training, and now I'm hitting 209 on the worst team in the National League. Kevin Newman is a Manfred plant to get more action. <laughs> yeah, except it's not. Is, it's is it working? I don't know. Does this qualify as working? Kevin Newman, I wish you BABIP luck in the future. To our ugly Jake Mintz. Now, Jordan, both of us have a ugly related to Division Three baseball. So just a quick disclaimer. Mm-hmm. Jordan and I, this is our passion. We love small school baseball. Mm-hmm. Small school baseball in college as a whole is ugly. The whole thing is ugly. The whole thing is weird as hell. The whole exercise. The whole exercise of guys who are never going to play professional baseball dedicating their lives to trying to play good baseball for four years yes. is ridiculous. I did it. <laughs> and it was great, but like, it's still super weird. Yeah, Jordan. That said, I know you're little, Jesus Christ, Jake and Jordan, chill with the college baseball. I promise you these next five minutes will entertain you. I promise you. They Which are, one would you like to start with? We'll start with me, Jordan Schusterman, in a uh, regional game this past weekend in Auburn, New York. Elimination a game, game. Elimination game between Keystone College and the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. Very bizarre play happened, Jordan Schusterman. The bases were loaded. In the bottom of the ninth, in a tie game, and the pitcher for Keystone, they were in the field, was called for a balk. After a lengthy del- deliberation, the pitcher had gone to his mouth on the rubber. A balk was called, walk off, win for Merchant Balk Marine. off. Balk to off. To end Keystone's season. Careers over because of a balk. Over on a balk. Mayhem ensues. There's yelling at the umpires. Police are apparently called out of the field to separate people. Everyone leaves. Seems like it's all over. 15 minutes later, Suddenly, everyone is sent back onto the field. And they're like, we got the call wrong. They looked it up. In college, if you go to your mouth on the rubber, it is a ball, not a balk. So a ball was called. Literally, everyone back. Like, runners back, pitcher back. Just like it never happened. First pitch, sack fly. They dogpiled. They had already dogpiled. (laughs) They had already dogpiled. They undogpiled. They took it back. Sack fly, run scores, first pitch. Game over, dogpile again. Now, if you think I'm done, I'm not. On that final play, on that sack fly, 
The runner on first never tagged up. Ball hit to the right fielder, thrown in, runner scores, but the runner on first never tagged up. The team in the field, Keystone, went to tag first, claiming that that should be a force out at first base. That would be the third out of the inning, and because it's a force out, the run would not score. Bobby, are you following this? Do you have thoughts? (laughs) Now, it's important to say, obviously, on the sack fly to win the game, the left fielder threw the ball home to try and get the runner out, right? Yes. Obviously. So they did that. The guy scores, and then they throw it to first, and it basically appealed that the guy on first base never went back and tapped. Now, the rule is... Run scores. The run scores. Yeah. The The rule is it's a timing play. If that run scores before the force out is made, it it counts. Yes. But Jordan Schusterman thought about a galaxy brain baseball play. Yes, which is that... If you did actually get this out at first base before the run coming home with the winning run scored, this would in fact be a double play. Now, the reason this is so insane is because, as I said, if the if the run to, to end your season is running home, you're probably going to throw it home. That's it probably going to be your instinct. So again, just one more time. Sack, base loaded, sack fly, one out, ball caught, and instead of throwing it home, you backpick the runner at first base. Who's not paying attention. Who's, who's basically not paying attention. Right. Because he knows And you he's get that win. out before the runner scores. Right. It is an 8 million IQ <laughs> baseball play. It is as high of an IQ baseball play as I can think of. Bobby. Yes. Bo- Bobby, can you imagine now that this is out there in the ether? Incredible stuff. By the way, we will see. Think about it this way. We will see. Bases loaded, walk-off sack flies in Major League Baseball this year. I'm sure it's already happened. But now the next time it happens, I will be watching that runner on first, and I'll be watching the timing to see if, in fact, this is a play that could be made. What do you this think, is like Bobby? one of those things that, this is like one of those baseball things where you have infinite possibilities of chaos if the people are not professionals on the base paths who have done yeah. this like a trillion times. <laughs> They've only done it like a billion times in their yeah. life. And like, well you know, said. if this happens in Major League Baseball, 100% chance the first base coach is like back, 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 back. But if this yeah. happens in D3, that's just like Bob. That's why the guy. On first it, base, you know, no, no, no offense well, to D3 coaches or anything like that, but they, they're, they're not well, getting paid more, 200K a year for this. Right, right. It's more that the guy on first, and you can see in the video, like, he's just jumping up and down because he knows <laughs> like, like they holy won, shit, right? we they're like, won. we're going to win. Exactly. Right, right. Oh, it's so funny. Oh, and that's goodness. the thing, right? Like, this is the equivalent of this happening in a playoff game. Where like no one's paying attention. You're just like the emotion of the moment is getting getting to you and you're not paying attention. So if this, if any major leaguer tries to pull this in a game, in a real game, I will be floored. It is at, it's just, it doesn't get crazier than this. And it's a testament to the expanded baseball universe that the sport that we have spent and dedicated our whole lives to mm-hmm. keeps offering up new avenues of bizarroness As within we its had, rules. Of course, by the way, if you're wondering why we talk about the hobby bias, will Craig play? I mean, yeah. That was a great example. Like you couldn't, you couldn't even, if you yeah. paused that play, you would have been like, how the fuck is this going to result in what we think and why? Right. Yeah. Um, and that's, uh, that's, that's, but now we're thinking ahead. We're, we're really, really yeah. big braining it. All right. Why aren't uh, you, ta- why aren't you blog- talking about the Germany Schaefer play? Oh, well, I almost, I know, almost made that joke. Uh, thank you, Bobby. That could have been my bad, that tweet. <laughs> my Ugla is also from Division Three Regional. Adrian College walked off 
the University of Wisconsin Whitewater on a home run by Tristan Richardson to go to the World Series. Okay, great. That's exciting. You guys don't give a shit about Adrian Walk Whitewater. Walk off to but... go to the World Series is cool no matter what. And sometimes, Jordan, these videos go viral. Yes. yes no because, matter the level. Because, obviously, one of the best things about this is like, oh my God, walk off to go to the World Series. I, I want to hear the call. Right. I want to hear the the call from the broadcaster like, oh, my God, this has got to be crazy. And if this happens in Major League Baseball, you have the call for the national game and you have the radio call and you have the Spanish call and the Russian call and the and the home call and the away call. And every there's 18 different calls that you can watch of your choosing. Right. But at the Division three level, you do not have that. You have one broadcast and this broadcast happened to be done at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater because they were hosting. And so the gentleman who was doing this call, and I did not know his name, sorry, please let, let us know if you're listening to this and you know the answer. Obviously, the guy calling all of the regional games, not just the Whitewater games, was likely someone involved with the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. Now, that is not to say that these broadcasters cannot do this fairly neutral and cannot feign excitement for anything that is happening in the regional. And, and we've seen guys who are hosting regionals able to conjure up excitement and do it in a more neutral, fair way. So I cannot blame this, but... Let's this, play the clip. Like, we got to yeah. play the clip. Let's play the clip. Uh, don't worry, Bobby. I'll send it to you. Why don't you take a listen? Again, this is a walk-off home run to go to the World Series. Take a listen. Going back is Campbell looking up, and that's the ball game. A walk-off homer from Tristan Richardson, and Adrian has done it. They advance to the Division Three World Series on a walk-off homer from Tristan Richardson. Congratulations to the Bulldogs, who will head to Cedar Rapids this coming week, their second appearance Okay, so this is obviously a tough spot for likely Whitewater employee number, you know, number one here. Calling a game, you can imagine the, all the Whitewater parents tuning into the game that aren't even at the game, anyone around the gate. It's like, I'm watching it and I'm watching my team that I've called games for have their season ended on a walk-off home run on their own field. It's a bummer. But it's the bummer. thing is, okay, this to me, this clip, is a great example of why neutral uh, broadcasters call playoff games, right? Because this gentleman calling this game, it is completely understandable for him to be bummed out in the moment, right? Having the like broadcasting wherewithal to bring the energy for the opposing team when you're literally getting walked off on your own field for the other team to go to the World Series. Like, I'm not going to blame anybody for not having exactly, being exactly. stoked about that, exactly. obviously, right? However. Like, it's just an incredible juxtaposition of energy where, yes. like, the, the team is running on the field and they're rounding the bases and the guy goes, and that's the ball game. <laughs> that's the ball game. And that's unfortunate because, again, like, obviously, this is still an amazing clip and it's still an amazing moment. And I'm glad there's video of it at all. Right. But it's one of those things where it's like you that's why you whenever home runs like this happen at any level of baseball, softball, whatever, I can't wait to hear the call. And for this one, it was unfortunate that that video will always be it's again, I don't blame the broadcaster at all, but it is a, a weird thing. And that's why we should all be thankful that at the major league level, we have a thousand different calls to choose from. All right. There's the good, the bad, the ugly. We have done this here podcast. Thank you, Jake Mintz, for joining me on this baseball barbecue journey. Thank you to Bobby Wagner for producing. As always, uh, good luck to your WashU Bears as they embark on a trip to Cedar Rapids, just as you will in a couple days, and try and win their first ever World Series championship. And uh, 
Any, any other final thoughts? That'll be the ball game. That'll And that's going to be the ball game. And last thing, Jake, I hope the Orioles have won by the next time nope. we talk next week. Nope. Nope. I want 17-145. That's what uh, I want. Go Bears! <laughs>